Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. And here's your 30-second summary. An accident of birth and the ambition of others tossed Jane Grey onto the throne of England. Nine days later, Queen Mary pushed her off stage and ultimately onto a scaffold. The end. Today, we are going to talk about Lady Jane Grey, who was, or perhaps was not, the Queen of England for nine whole days. Nine whole days. Lady Jane Grey was born in October of 1537, unless she was born in May of 1536. Yeah, recently historians have started to doubt the birth date, underlining what we often say, you can pick and choose what you believe of history. Mm -hmm. So we've got some eminent, respectable historians, including people at the BBC, calling for October, and others like Leanda DeLille, also respected historians, saying, oh no, she was born in 1536. At some point... In the 1530s, Lady Jane Grey was born. And she was born sometime around the same time as Prince Edward, the first and only son of King Henry VIII, who was also born. Her parents were Henry Grey and Francis Grey. Now, even more important is her grandparentage. Yeah, a word on grandparents before we get going. This will come in really handy later. Henry VIII had two sisters. Margaret, who became the Queen of Scotland. (laughs) Goodbye, Margaret. (laughs) We won't see you later. And Mary, the younger sister, also known as the French Queen, because of her brief excursion to marry the King of France, and then she came right back. After her elderly French husband died and Mary came back to England, she married Henry VIII's frat brother, you know, his best friend, Charles Brandon played by, in the Tudors, the fabulously attractive Henry Cavill. <laughs> so, Did that um, come off of the shutter of Glee? <laughs> or maybe horror. I don't really know. <laughs> I think he does a great job. I mean, he is very dashing. They were two famously attractive people. Mm-hmm. Um, and these famously attractive people had an equally famously attractive daughter, Frances, and that's Jane Grey's mama. So Jane Grey's mama was the cousin of Mary and of Elizabeth. And she was King Henry VIII's niece. So that's the family lineage. Right. She's descended from Henry VIII's younger sister. There's the short version. So to rejoin baby Jane Grey's life, her godmother was Queen Jane Seymour. Okay, we're on wife number three. If you've listened to the Wives of Henry VIII podcast, we are on wife number three. Her godmother was Queen Jane Seymour, and at the time, she was pregnant when she was godmother. Right. That's a pretty important baby, to have the queen be your godmother. Oh, right, and she was probably named after her as well, because Jane apparently wasn't a very popular name around the time. She grew up in the first unfortified palace in Leicestershire. Now, to keep an unfortified palace means that there's been peace for some time, which is true. Henry VIII (laughs) eventually brought peace. I mean... You know, so you can build a house that doesn't have to have arrow slits, and you don't have to have tar buckets to throw crap down on people. It can Hooray. be pretty. You can have big windows. You can have open wings of the house. It was beautiful. In fact, Papa had actually torn down a village so he could make a fake wilderness, which Marie Antoinette later did that. She put a fake village in her garden and took down a wilderness, so oh, how fashions change. <laughs> Jane and her two sisters, inevitably named Catherine and Mary, didn't we talk about how 84% of women in this time period uh-huh. had the same 10 names? No. I was so happy to Confusing. see Jane come across. <laughs> Yay! Oh my god. It's different. 
they spent most of their early childhood kind of playing, which sounds pretty idyllic. They were taught needlework, which began the second you can hold a needle. Right. When they get married off, they will make shirts for their husbands. I know. They were expected to make practical things I, like shirts. Isn't I know. that interesting? It's the queens yeah. made shirts for the kings. Yeah. I think that's kind for of... For the poor or for the king. You yeah, know. whatever. Whoever. I, one would be fancier. I would hope. <laughs> the girls were also taught dancing and how to play the lute or the virginal, which is a teeny tiny little piano. Can I giggle? I giggle. I'm such a 12-year-old. <laughs> That's where female education could have ended. However, education of women had currently become fashionable. So this right here, this generation of women is pretty lucky that they fell right into the period. Didn't happen before, really, unless your dad was exceptional. Didn't happen mm-hmm. after, mm-hmm. unless your dad was exceptional. But right now, it was pretty fashionable to have an educated daughter. So hooray. So Jane and her sister studied under a man named John Almer who was a famous classicist, also famous for treating people like crap when they disagreed with him in religious matters. <laughs> hmm. Huh. So, <laughs> they learned to speak and read Latin, Greek, French, and Italian. At seven. So they could read from their, their scriptures in Latin. That's pretty cool. It was. And they were raised as Protestants. Yes. That's super important. Yeah, she was being brought up by a pretty radical Protestant sect. At the time, it was just called evangelical. Like, Protestant as a term didn't come up, but by the time Edward was reigning, it got pretty radical. It's still pretty new. Martin Luther hung his 95 theses on the, the church door only about 20, 25 years before Jane was born. So... It was spreading rapidly, but it was still new, and everyone was kind of on fire. Like, if you have a new, something new and cool, and, oh, that makes total sense, you're, like, totally fired up for it, and you tell everybody about it. That was what was happening with the evangelical faith at the time. So, at any rate, clearly not Catholic. No. All all other things aside. Yeah. Um, Now, Mama was a lady of the privy chamber of Catherine Parr by the time Jane was nine. Okay, we are already to wife number six. Time right. flies. I know. He knocked off those last ones pretty fast. Yeah. So, Mama often brought Jane to court. You know, kind of a vital point of her education. If she was going to be a courtier, well, you got to learn early mm-hmm. what's, what is and what isn't acceptable. So, it was kind of on-the-job training for someone with royal connections. And you want your name out there, and you want your face out there, and et cetera. And it's family. Mm-hmm. So, Henry VIII did not live long after these little excursions started, and it was Henry's will which was written a month before he died, that was really going to change Jane's life forever. The first part everyone had known for years, Henry's son was to follow him. Well, yeah. Yeah. Of course. (laughs) If you know nothing else about Henry, you know he wanted a son. So that That one is obvious. Yeah. But then, if he had no children, Mary was back in with her children. Elizabeth was back in with her children. Then, though, Henry VIII completely ignored the conventions of primogeniture. Mm-hmm. So he will, should have gone with his older sister's children. But he didn't like Scotsmen. He didn't like the way that they always tried to bust in his country when he wasn't looking. It was a traditional enemy. He completely cut out his older sister and all her people for all eternity out of the succession. Or so he thought. But whatever. <laughs> so he, instead of going with her, went with the descendants of his younger sister, one of which was the mother of Jane Grey. So that changed Jane Grey's life forever right there, just so you know. Mm -hmm. So nine-year-old Edward was king when his father died, and his two Seymour uncles were in charge. So much of Jane Grey's life is a chess game. Yeah, and she is really a pawn in a lot of it. 
So the two uncles were fighting. The oldest one was the protector, mm-hmm. and the youngest one was been out of shape about it. There's the short version of that. That's, yeah, that's good. <laughs> so the younger one, the bent out of shape boy named Thomas, married Catherine Parr, the queen. Very quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unseemly speed, I suppose. And they had Elizabeth at their house. The younger uncle knew that the older one wanted to marry Jane Grey to his own son, and out of spite and out of greed for power, Thomas Seymour used all his charm, and he did have quite a bit of charm, and he was attractive, on Jane's father to convince him, hey, send Jane to me, and maybe, just maybe, I could marry her to the king. Okay, well, that's a pretty attractive offer. And it's certainly something that Jane's parents had been thinking of since the day this daughter was born. Her cousin was going to be king at some point. This had occurred to them, so to have an ally must have been extremely appealing. Well, now, he did have to pay them two thousand pounds for the privilege too yeah they weren't just gonna send her off they're like hmm what's it worth to ya yeah but it was a very common thing to take your children and foster them out to another household Mm -hmm. to further their education it wasn't just jane gray no it happened to everyone right Catherine parr really loved jane they got along great so it was a nurturing environment to a degree so at 10 jane gray took a short boat ride to her new life in the household of the queen dowager And you would have thought Elizabeth and Jane would be friends at 13 and 10. Not so. Elizabeth was very standoffish. And I think Elizabeth had known for her whole life, you got to keep your own counsel. You got to keep it all inside. Elizabeth was famous for her composure. And I think she just was not about to trust people, honestly. And why would you? She'd had a life, as we'll find out maybe in another podcast later. Mm Mm-hmm. There's no reason Elizabeth had to be free, easy, and joyful at any point. <laughs> no, not at all. So, And she learned the, the game that she had to play at a very early age. She's played the game of Survivor harder than anyone so far. Mm-hmm. And that's what it all is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, this whole Tudor era, it's like, a, it's like a literal game of Survivor. Playing people and manipulating people. And that was going on in Jane's life at this point. So Elizabeth and Thomas Seymour, the man of the house, were caught in an embrace. Hmm, scandalous. And Elizabeth was sent away in disgrace, leaving only our little friend Jane Grey in the house to witness the birth of Catherine Parr's child. And, unfortunately, the shortly after death of Catherine Parr from childbed fever. So it was Jane, at the age of only 11, who was the chief mourner at the funeral of her surrogate mother, Dowager Queen Catherine Parr. Which is really sad, but the other sad part is that her guardianship was on the market again, because now her done deal might not be so. She did hang out with Thomas Seymour for a little while longer, but... Thomas Seymour really said about imploding, honestly. I have to say, Thomas Seymour, within a year, had been beheaded for treason. So, he is no wagon to hitch your little star to. Not at all. His power, obviously, was not so awesome. So Jane went back home. I, you know, here's an ironic twist. Mama, Frances, took her daughters often to visit her cousin Mary. Quite a bit. Mary, Henry VIII's daughter. Mm-hmm. And Mary used to love giving them dresses and jewels and things. I have a friend, this is weird, at Baby Gap, who says that childless aunts were their best customers for impractical garments. Oh, I totally believe that. And so maybe that's been true throughout history because Mary was famous for giving very impractical garments and jewels to small children. (laughs) So at 13, now keep in mind, her dad does not have a son. 
But Jane is the oldest, and you throw all your weight behind the oldest. Right. That's what you do. The pressure did ramp up on her to succeed in all things, to obey, to do her studies. It wasn't fashionable to coddle children and put happy faces on their papers, and it was you put the pressure on because things needed to get done. And she was a teenager at this point, and she's becoming a woman. She is a smart person. Right about now, there's a famous speech that she gives to her tutor about how her parents treat her so badly, and... <laughs> Her life is this and that, and lots of people have read that as her parents were abusive, and her parents used to slap her and shake her and make her do stuff, and I am hearing the strains of Depeche Mode <laughs> in the background. I am seeing a room painted black. I am it's, seeing it's emo music black playing. eyeliner yeah. and dyed black yep. spiky hair. I'm just saying, <laughs> if emo music had been around, that's the soundtrack of Jane's life right now. Would be playing it. Her parents were probably very strict, but that's just what you did. And I do think it was the combination of teenage hormones and the expectations were combining. I don't believe her mother is the queen from Snow White as she has been portrayed. No, I think she was pretty typical for the, for a woman of her stature, of her upbringing. I mean, she was actually kind of uh, modern-ish in her thinking with her the kids' education. So at court, Mary still sent her clothes that were pretty, in Jane's view, gaudy, too covered with jewels. Jane's inclination would have been to dress more severely, like Elizabeth, like a Protestant's Protestant. Mm -hmm. Like an emo Protestant teenager. (laughs) You know, all black, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) But her parents are like, don't make Mary mad. Wear the things your cousin sends you. So she reluctantly would put them on, but she thought they were unbecoming for a lady that would follow God's word. Yeah, okay. (laughs) So potential bride after potential bride for the king fell by the wayside. So she was at court. She was his age. She was up there. She corresponded with and impressed academics all over Europe. Mm -hmm. She was famous for her education. People thought, hmm, interesting. Now, unfortunately, Edward had the very, very beginnings of a health scare, and it cost him to rewrite the succession in the following way. Sister Mary, out. Sister Elizabeth, out. Children of his oldest aunt, still out. And he merely made provision that Mama, Frances, uh, her sons would inherit after him. Okay, Frances didn't have any sons. sons. But at the time, she could have some sons. Sure. Okay, let's go with that. Sons to be determined later. TBD. (laughs) TBD, son. Okay, so he didn't want to leave his throne to girls. Okay, there were only girls. Look around. There's only girls as far as I can see. There's girls in Scotland. There's girls in the court. There's girls everywhere. Oh my god, we gotta set up some potential boy-baby situations right now. So a flurry of marriages started to happen. As Edward got sicker and sicker, the survivoresque maneuvering went into place. Tick, tick, tick. The lead man behind the curtain, you know, the great and powerful Oz, Lord Dudley, the Duke of Northumberland, who was the boss, honestly was the boss Mm -hmm. of the king. That's his fact. He used both carrots and sticks to badger papa into betrothing Jane to his own fourth son, Guildford Dudley. Now, only because the top three were married already. Right. This is why we got down to a fourth son. This is all he had left, right. right, Yeah. So so from a king marriage, Mm -hmm. which is what she thought was going to happen, to the fourth son of the son of an executed traitor seems quite a way to fall. 
But Jane wasn't asked for her opinion. No, no. Didn't matter what she thought about it. But dang, that's quite a fall, isn't it? But it was a great deal uh, faster than you'd expect. (laughs) We decided and then it happened, honestly. And it was a three-way wedding, as odd as that sounds. All the sisters were married. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. To assorted conspirators. That must have been just a fun, really fun reception. Jane's new husband, Guildford Dudley, has kind of been painted as a mama's boy, and I don't think he was at all. I don't... It cracked me up, though, that his name was Dudley, because the first thing I thought of with his reputation for being a spoiled brat was Dudley from Harry Potter. You know? I don't know. The blonde mama's boy who whined about everything. So that's his reputation, but I seriously don't think... Unless you watch the lady, we'll talk about the movie later. They portray him entirely different. He was a, a womanizing, party all night frat boy in that movie. Yeah, history's not been kind to Guilford Dudley. No. Uh, but maybe he was the youngest son, so there wasn't a lot known about him. Why would there be? And yeah. then all of a sudden, he gets arranged into this marriage that was high up for him, and suddenly the spotlight's on. So we got to make up some stuff. <laughs> he was told bluntly not to consummate his marriage right away. We don't know if he obeyed, but he was told not to because if anything went wrong with this scheme, he could still bail and get an annulment because it was the consummation that made annulment impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Jane is married. The stage is set. Let's take a little break. And when we come back, life gets briefly very, very interesting. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the world's leading provider of audiobooks with over 100,000 titles to choose from over all types of literature. For you, the listeners of the History Chicks, Audible.com is offering a free audiobook download to give you a chance to try out their service. For this episode, we recommend The Innocent Traitor by Philippa Gregory, a fictional account of the tragic brief life of England's nine-day queen. To download your free audiobook today, simply visit audible.com slash thehistorychicks or follow the Audible link on our website, thehistorychicks.com. And we're back. Now, normally we don't do a lot of specific dates. But this story moves really fast for just a little while. So here we go. July 6th, King Edward dies. But it's a secret. It's a big secret. July 8th, Jane was told she's queen. She fell to the ground weeping. She was very reluctant. She sat alone under a canopy of state as the technical first queen regnant. Hmm, maybe. Well, she wasn't ready. She didn't think this was going to play out this fast. She was brought to London under false pretenses by Dudley, and she just found out her her cousin died. Yeah, this was all going really fast. Yeah. So, July 10th, Jane has gone to the Tower to prep for her coronation, and the people's response to this announcement was a happy face with a straight line underneath it. Like, who is this? What happened? I don't understand. So, on the 10th, Jane was crowned queen. That same day, Mary's letter arrived saying, now that my brother has died, 
Bless his heart. I'm the queen, and I expect for you to broadcast that information all over the nation. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, now we have two unprecedented queen regnants. Hmm. Fighting. Who's, what the heck is who's going the on? queen? What, Dudley had forgotten one critical piece in his manipulation strategy, and that was to get the public aware that he had convinced the council that Mary was not fit for the throne. That she, because of her parents were divorced and she was a Catholic, she wasn't fit for the throne. And as we talked about in the Mary podcast, the people loved them some Mary. Mm-hmm. They loved her. For a long time. So this was a big error in his strategy. Yeah. He, he should have done a little more PR work. Or he should have been faster getting hold of Mary, as we yeah. talked about her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, hmm. Okay. July 12th, Jane, I think, is starting to resent her husband's family is trying to control her. Her mind is, well, okay, if I have to be the queen, I'm going to be the queen. You are not going to be the king. I'll make you a duke if you want, but you're not going to be the king. So I love this because then Guilford, like, no, you will make me king. And he stomps his foot and he goes, I'm going to tell my mother. So he goes and gets his mom and brings his mom back. And the mom is yelling at Jane. This is the movie, <laughs> by the way. This is a necessarily what really happened but yes yes but i cannot fault guildford really because this had never happened before you know what i mean (laughs) if you are married to a queen you are a king end of story right there's no precedent for him not being a king right and that's a big fall to be not a king to a duke all of a sudden in two days (laughs) just a few weeks before he was just a you know either mama's boy or party frat boy and now suddenly he's Arguing for a kingdom. (laughs) It's very complicated. On the 14th, Jane's army left to fight Mary's in East Anglia. Well, that's Mary's stronghold, number one. Hmm. And the nobles are kind of having trouble motivating their men against Mary. It's really not going well with the motivation. Well, the the information spreading is one thing. Deciding which side to align yourself is something totally different. There's going to be a winner and a loser here, and you need to pick... The winning side. (laughs) Yes. So. On the 19th, day nine of the nine-day rule, if you're following along. That's right. Jane acted by proxy as godmother to a little boy that she named Guildford. That's good. But in the afternoon, Mary is proclaimed queen by the nobles. So Jane's father came into the room, ripped down the canopy of state, told her she was no longer the queen, and left the room. Because he's very supportive, Dad, and he's awesome, and um, wants to make sure his daughter's okay. okay. She just wants to go home and have, be done with this whole thing. Well, Guilford yeah. and Jane were now prisoners. The guards kind of started treating them badly, because they could. And so back to the tower they go, but this time they're not waiting for their coronation. This time they're just prisoners, and that is unfortunately. Now, Jane's mama, remember this, is Mary's cousin, burnt up the road to beg Mary for forgiveness for her daughter and her husband. Mm-hmm. Now, that alone makes me think that she's not the beast that she could be. Because, honestly, she could have just bailed. She wanted to ask for her husband's forgiveness, too. You know, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Well, yeah, that would save her she money. She was covering and her was, fanny a bit. I she mean, was covering her fanny yeah. a little bit. But at least she made an effort to save her daughter, whereas Papa is definitely a large part of the problem. Now, Papa was released, but not Jane and not Guilford. They were just too dangerous. You know, Mary's counselors thought, mm, let's just hold off or, you know, chop their heads off. Now's the time. It's all confusing. Do it. And Mary's like, yeah. no, no, Jane is just a puppet mm-hmm. like myself. 
of men who are hauling her around. I do not fault Jane. So Mary knew with common yeah. sense that Jane had very little control over her situation. And they weren't living like in a cell like you mm-hmm. think. You know, they had rooms. It wasn't horrible other than the, you know, prisoner part. In the tower... They stayed until November, until they were led to trial. I think this is interesting. When a capital case is to come to trial, the axe man, the procession leader, the blade will face away from the accused, Mm -hmm. which is kind of a subtle thing. That's cool. If they are convicted, as honestly, if if you are accused of treason... Most of the time, they want you gone, so it's You're kind not going to get off. No. So, she was convicted of treason and condemned to be burnt alive. Women convicted of treason are burnt, but can be commuted to beheading if they want to be merciful. So, anyway, on the way back, the axe blade was pointed toward Jane, because it means... <laughs> so, regard this at your leisure all the way back. Seems mean, but it was tradition. It seems pretty easy way to tell people stuff. Oh, but you know what? Many people cried, 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 cried. It was just so sad. They kind of knew. She was young and pretty and, and composed and mm-hmm. sad. And Mary swore that she would not die. But, but you know, the paperwork's out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> she had the option, but she's not claiming yeah. she won't ha- make it happen. But honestly, Papa sucks, by the way. Honestly, <laughs> he participated in a rebellion in February, which he could have stayed out of. But he sailed Jane's fate. Unfortunately, those rebels actually wanted Elizabeth as the queen, not Jane. But they were just seen as focuses for rebellion. Mm-hmm. And so Mary had to sign their death warrants. She got her crown in July. It was taken away from her nine days later. And now it's February. She's been hanging out in the tower. A long time. Yeah. And then one day, the guy shows up and says, yours be executed tomorrow. <laughs> By the way... Mary sent a priest the day before. But remember, Jane is a Protestant, so a priest isn't really going to do a heck of a lot for her. Well, I think it was Mary's thought that perhaps if Jane would just convert at the last minute, her soul would be okay. I mean, sorry about your head and everything. But at least maybe your soul will be okay. And Jane was very polite and said, at this point, I think it's too late. You probably need to go. I need to compose myself. I need to have some letters to write. I have to pray. I have to think about things. I don't have time for you right now. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so she wasn't mean to him, but she did send him away. Guilford, who was condemned at the same time as she wanted to see her, but she refused again kindly. I think it will increase our agony. I don't think it will help us. You know, I wish you the best. See you on the other side. And wherever you end up, I hope I'm there. So she wrote her father a letter forgiving him, which was very big of her, I think. Yeah. It says, although it pleases God to hasten my death by one by whom my life should have been lengthened. So basically, dear dumbass dad. Yes. So she forgave him magnanimously, I think. Yeah, that was very nice of her. Yeah, that was pretty sad, though. She also wrote her sister, Catherine, who was 13, a letter mm-hmm. telling her to be ready to be a martyr. And I didn't understand why. And then I started to think, oh, wait, because Catherine will be the next up. Mm-hmm. Although it had gone beyond that now. I don't think there's anyone left willing to risk a gray on the throne. And Elizabeth's still around. And I think everyone kind of forgot about everybody. But as far as Jane knew, Catherine was up for bids. So be prepared to stand firm in your faith and be a martyr. Catherine was not an intellectual. She was probably not in any danger. Of no. <laughs> so Guilford was um, was executed first. 
He was very brave. Many people were very upset at his death. He really did even less than she to be treasonous against the the queen. He was never king. Yeah. After all. You know, and Jane afterward, very, they gave the speech. They thank God. They forgive the executioner. Everyone in this era that we read about has such composure here at the end and they forgive people. I would be up there like, no way. I'd be like, F this! Stupid! I didn't do anything! But whatever. Uh, you know. Yeah, no. Yeah, they always have these good speeches, don't they? They do. Yes, and Jane was no exception. So they blindfolded little Jane, which is optional, but then she couldn't find the block. And she said, where is it? I can't find it. And someone guided her to it. Kind of like putting pin the tail on the donkey. Chop, 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 chop. Her body, which was enormously full of blood, they said, was bundled away and tossed in a random pit. They don't really take care of this very well no. at the end. Same thing happened to Anne Boleyn. No one even had a basket to put her head in. Or bag. It's like you guys... In the Tears TV show, they were always putting the heads in bags. Well, because sometimes they had to go out and put them on a pole. Mm. Oh, right, yes. Which they didn't in this case. Um, But they just flung it in some, you know, pit, which is marked now in the tower. There's six people memorialized in this uh, spot, Guilford and her father, Mm. who, for his part in this rebellion, was executed five days later. He did not escape Mm -mm. this time. No. So there ended the short nine-day reign of Queen Jane, technically the first queen regnant at 16 years of age. She's not, however, recognized as the first queen regnant because Edward changed his succession without an act of parliament. And so she was not legally the queen. Dudley screwed up on a few counts. Yeah. He, he thought he was smarter than he was. Yeah, you got to do the paperwork, my friend. you got to do the paperwork. you got to talk to all the people, not just the head people. <laughs> so there is a simple marker near the place of beheading that simply says, here lies the remains of, you know, Guilford Dudley, blah, 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 blah. A more fitting memorial, I believe, is the word Jane carved in the Beecham Tower by her husband, Guilford. Cared for her. Mm-hmm. Maybe he had another message for her and he just didn't quite finish it. (laughs) Always, always thinking on the dark side. You can see that online. We will give you a link to see the picture. I lost my head over you. That would be a good Valentine. Yeah. I mean, it was February. That's true. (laughs) So, there is a very, very moving picture. A painting made by Paul Delaroche called The Execution of Lady Jane Grey. It is. It's very beautiful. It's at the point where she's looking for the block. She has a blindfold on. She's kneeling. There's, you know, somber people around her, and she's just kind of reaching out for it. It's um, haunting. Books you can read. There is a book that is fictional. We always love the fictional book. Yeah, we do. Called Innocent Traitor by Alison Weir. And it's the story of Lady Jane Grey kind of told through a lot of different eyes. It's not just one voice. Yeah. And um, I actually was very entertained by that. I was, too. I really liked it. I, I don't always read. I wait till the end to read the historical fiction, so I don't always finish it. But I really enjoyed it. <laughs> there is a movie from 1986. It's called Lady Jane. It stars Helena Bonham Carter and Carrie Elwes. <gasps> You've got Bellatrix Lestrange from Harry Potter. Yes. And you've got the guy from The Princess Bride. I know. So I watched this movie. So I thought the movie was a little bit slow. I was kind of dozing off. And I just couldn't help but see Princess Bride in this movie because he was 
movie. Yeah, he was Wesley. So I was like, when she was getting crowned, I had, look, I don't mean to be rude, but this isn't as easy as it looks. I would appreciate it if you wouldn't distract me. Because she was kind of freaking out inside, and everyone's like, it's a crown, take it. And then, as you wish, just kept going through my head. Because in this movie, it's their relationship is highly romanticized. And they are just perfect for each other. And they make out all over the place. And it's just not really what it was. And then, at the end, death cannot stop true love. All it can do is delay it for a while. It was just... Yeah, I, I couldn't get Princess Bride out of it. <laughs> there are two more serious books that I really liked. The Nine Days Queen by Mary Luke and The Sisters Who Would Be Queen by Leanda DeLeal. And in that book, although we haven't covered it, it actually talks about her younger sisters, Catherine and uh, Mary. Mary uh, was perhaps a little person. Yeah, she's, she may have had a form of dwarfism. So that's kind of interesting to think about. And so it covers the whole family a little more thoroughly. So that's a really good book to kind of investigate this little hidden part of history. And I recommend that you go to hrp.org, which is Historic Royal Palaces. Um, you can uh, learn about the tower. You can see Guildford's carving in the tower. There are six restaurants here, which is really, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> They talk about traditional tea service, and it's, it just seems so joyful for such a place fraught with horror and terror. But, you know, just so you know, if you're going, there's six different restaurants, and one's right on the river with big umbrellas, so good for them. Enjoy. Yes, enjoy that if you go there. And there is a Twitter, Lady Jane Grey info. There's really only there's so not, much. Yeah, there's, they probably, I don't follow them, so I don't know. We probably start repeating after a while. And there you have it. A sometimes forgotten little footnote in history between King Edward and Queen Mary. There may have, in fact, been a Queen Jane, but just for a moment. Thanks for listening. Bye. For show notes, links to the things we talked about today, or to donate, please visit us at thehistorychicks.com. Follow us on Twitter at thehistorychicks with an X, or like us on Facebook without an X. If you'd like us in real life, Please tell a few friends or leave a review for us on iTunes. Our music comes courtesy of Music Alley. Visit them at music.mevio.com. I climbed an old willow tree with a pen in my teeth. A spot and a rope with the world at my feet. I fit just right in the branches. This place was a place of my own. Free from the ground, my thoughts flew around, sitting atop of my throne. Felt like the queen or the king of innocent things.